Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Xander's Facts. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into the latest edition of the Xander's Facts podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. It is Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. Episode 130 is on tap this week for the podcast. I don't know where you are, but where I am currently, it is under 10 degrees, not Celsius, 10 degrees Fahrenheit. It is absolutely freezing. So hopefully the facts will keep you warm this week while it is absolutely frigid outside. And I think we got some good facts to talk about this week. Once again, just like we did on an episode last year, we're talking about the economy. We're talking about a part of the economy. Well, we're really talking about the overall economy. Unlike last year, we focused on recessions because the big topic at the beginning of last year was, is there going to be a recession in 2023? All the economists think there's going to be a recession. That was the big economic topic. This year, that's not so much the case. Right now, it's everybody thinks the economy is terrible. But if you actually look at the data, is it terrible? That's the big question we're going to answer this week on the podcast. Before we get to that, though, just wanted to remind you all that if you like the Zaders Facts podcast, if you think you're going to like all the facts on this week's edition, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 130, rate and review the podcast. Check us out on all the socials, threads, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Xander's Facts. That's Xander with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends. We like to call it spreading the facts around here. Tell all your friends about the podcast. Tell all your friends about the newsletter. If you don't know about the newsletter, though, it's a recap of the week's top headlines every Sunday morning. It's called Xander's Weekend Facts. It comes out every Sunday morning in your email inbox. You can sign up for free in the link in this episode's description. And also check out the Xander's Facts link tree because it has all the Xander's Facts links that you need for the podcast, the newsletter, whatever, including for any of our past 129 episodes, if you want to go listen to any of those, because we've had a lot of facts recently. So let's get to the big topic for episode 130 this week. It's our annual look at the economy podcast. We did this last year. Last year, the big question was, what is a recession? Is a recession, an economic recession going to happen in 2023? And if you had listened to all the economists, the answer was undoubtedly yes. Because, I mean, big difference a year can make. We recorded episode 91, which was that podcast, about a year ago in January of 2023 when we took a look at 2023's economic outlook. And now the vibes are a little different in January of 2024. But if you haven't, you should go back and listen to that podcast, by the way. At the beginning of last year, we had many economic experts, experts in quotes, I'll say, who were screaming from the rooftops that there was going to be an economic recession. It was almost assured for 2023. You may remember the Bloomberg headline from October of 2022, which was, quote, forecast for U.S. recession within year hits 100% in blow to Biden, unquote, or the CNBC headline from December of 2022 that was, why everyone thinks a recession is coming in 2023. Don't trust the experts, y'all. Trust the facts. Even though I don't think I ever told you that a recession wasn't coming. I'm just telling y'all, sometimes the economic experts may not know what they're talking about. Because did we get a recession in 2023? 
We did not. But that does not mean that there's still some individuals out there who are claiming that while they may have got it wrong last year, there's no way they won't get it wrong this year. And there's going to be a recession in 2024. Those thoughts are still out there. But the overall view is mixed, especially when you bring in public opinion to the mix. Poll after poll continues to show that most Americans believe the economy right now is in the toilet and not heading in the right direction. But a lot of the common economic statistics that we use show that the U.S. economy is actually roaring compared to our worldwide peers. So why is this? Let's get into it. We're going to get into a ton of stuff this week. we got a lot of facts to get to. We're going to take a look at current economic sentiment, including what the data says and how people are feeling and what that could mean for 2024. Plus, I'm going to answer the never-ending question, will there be a recession this year? I don't know. We'll see. Here comes a fact. To the facts. We start on this podcast by talking about the economic vibes right now. A lot of people, the vibes are a little off on the economy. But does the data show that? Let's first take a look at the hard data. Then we're going to take a look at how people actually view the economy. So when we take a look at the hard data... As I've said before, there's no one simple metric that we can take a look at for deciding whether the economy is good or bad right now. Instead, it's really a mix of many different factors and an overall trend if we can actually decipher one. But let's take a look at the main ones we hear often. There's three big ones, actually, when you take a look at the economy. One is the national unemployment rate. Now, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is part of the federal government, defines the unemployment rate as, quote, representing the number of unemployed people as a percentage of the labor force, and the labor force is the sum of the employed and unemployed people in the country, unquote. So the current national unemployment rate as of the last data, which was released in December, is 3.7%. In December of 2022, that was 3.5%. In December of 2021, it was 3.9%. But in December of 2020, you go all the way back then, it was 6.7%. It got up all the way back to 14.8% in April of 2020. You all know what happened back then. But it was as low as 3.5% just two months before that. Actually, back in February of 2023, the number hit 3.4%, which was the lowest in 54 years Just to put that number in context, right now it's at 3.7%. That is pretty low. That's pretty good. We also have the inflation rate, which has been under a tight microscope these last couple of years. We typically use the consumer price index to measure inflation, which measures how fast the prices of typical goods and services are changing across the economy. We actually had a podcast where we talked about what inflation is, how we measure it, and how it occurs. Episode 67, if you haven't listened to that one, go listen to that. Same as Bog. But last month, the inflation rate stood at 3.4%, meaning prices rose an average of 3.4% across the economy over the last year. That's higher than the 3.1% from November or the 3.0% from back in June of 2023, but that's lower than August's 3.7%. And also much further back in December of 2022, it was 6.5%. It was 7.1% in December of 2021. And in June of 22, 
it got all the way up to 9%, which is kind of high. But in December of last year, that 3.4% was a little bit of a bump compared from the last month, as that happened a couple times in 2023. It didn't always go up and down. That was the trend, though. The overall trend has been a decrease in the inflation rate, although it is still above the Federal Reserve's target where they want it, which is 2%. We're still about a percent above that. But we can also take a look at number three, the GDP, which stands for Gross Domestic Product, and that's defined by Investopedia as, quote, the total monetary or market value of all the finished goods and services produced within a country's borders in a specific time period. As a broad measure of overall domestic production, it functions as a comprehensive scorecard of a given country's economic health, unquote. So the latest data from the third quarter of last year showed that the U.S. economy grew at a pretty massive rate. Initial numbers show that GDP grew by 4.9% from the previous year, but they then revised those numbers, which showed that that number actually increased to 5.2%. Now, the previous quarters hadn't seen as large growth. You had the quarter two of 2023, which was at 2.1%. Quarter before that was 2.2%. You get into 2022, the fourth quarter was 2.6%, 2.7% for the third quarter. And then the GDP was actually in the negatives for the first and second quarters of 2022, while three of the four 2021 quarters actually had growth over 5%. But the last time before COVID that GDP growth was over 5%, was in the second quarter of 2014, just to give you some context about what that 5% number actually means. So those are known as the big three economic indicators, unemployment, inflation, and GDP. But there's other variables we can look at as well, like home buying. Buying a home is likely probably going to be the largest purchase you ever make in your life. And prices have gone up exponentially in the last few years. In the third quarter of last year, the average sales price of houses that were sold in the U.S. was $513,400. That was according to the St. Louis Federal Reserve. It was actually even higher than that in the third quarter of 2022, $547,800. But in the third quarter of 2021, it was $473,000. That quarter of 2020, $397,800. And then that was kind of the big jump from 2020 to now. 2016, that number was 358,800. So we really had only seen a little steady, not too big increase before COVID. After COVID, the numbers have kind of gone way up. And of course, why is this? That's because like the basic function of economics, supply and demand. When demand goes up, supply is tending to go down. But Housing supply in the U.S. has been pretty low recently. Demand is high, so we're at that curve right now where demand is high, supply is pretty low. We have house buying. Gas prices, of course we have to talk about gas prices when we're talking about the economy because, of course, they're so important to the economy. You know, many of our basic functions, also like travel and energy, are affected by gas prices. At least right now in 2024, we haven't done the electric conversion yet. So as of Tuesday... The national average for a gallon of regular gas is $3.07. That's the same as it was a month ago, and that's lower than it was at this time last year, $3.30. And all of that is down from 
the $5 plus high that we saw back in the summer of 2022. It was down by a lot. And also on that same episode I mentioned earlier, episode 67, where we talked about inflation, we also talked about gas prices and why gas prices are the way they are, how they're set. Because if you didn't know, it's not just Sleepy Joe pulling on the lever in his office. That's not all that happens. Go listen to that episode. If you don't know how gas prices work, or even if you think you do, you might be wrong. So you could go listen to that podcast. But also, monthly job creation is another number we often look at because estimates are often placed on what the number is going to be each month. So you can kind of base that on, well, was it above or below estimates? So in December of last year, the U.S. economy added 216,000 jobs compared to estimates of 170,000. That's pretty good. In November, 199,000 jobs were added ahead of 190,000 that were estimated by Dow Jones. That's still pretty good. But in October, October was kind of a bad economic month because only 150,000 jobs were added compared to estimates of 170,000. But at least 100,000 jobs were added every month last year, and at least 200,000 jobs were added in eight months of the 12 months that made up 2023. It's a fact. So monthly job creation was another big boost overall for the economy last year. And of course, the amount of money people are making. One indicator to measure this is the year-over-year percentage change in average hourly earnings. That's also released every month, so we can take a look at that as well. Last month, average hourly earnings rose by 4.1% when you're comparing to December of 2022. Now, that is lower than what that number was in December of 2022. It was at 4.8%, and that's lower than what it was in December of 2021. It was 4.9%. But what really matters is if that number is outpacing inflation, because if the cost of goods is going up by more than average earnings, then your spending power is actually decreasing. Like if the inflation rate is 6% and the average wage increase is 5%, you're making more money, but your spending power is decreasing. So what actually matters is if that number is outpacing inflation. And since that 4.1% from last month is higher then the 3.4% inflation rate, your spending power actually went up on average. That's not how it was in December of 2022, though, because the 4.8% earnings growth was less than the 6.5% inflation rate. So over the last couple months, we've seen that change to now the inflation rate is lower than average wage increases. So you take all that in, you'd think that The economy's doing pretty good right now, you know? Almost every metric is pointing in the positive direction when you're looking at overall trends, and for the last few months, wages are now outpacing inflation. But what does the general populace say about the economy right now? Because the overall sentiment is not exactly mirroring what those numbers are saying. But before we get to the actual numbers, I did find a really interesting article in the Financial Times that does have numbers that are relevant to this conversation, which is titled, Should We Believe Americans When They Say the Economy is Bad? It's actually an opinion article from John Byrne Murdoch, who is the Financial Times' chief data reporter. So here's the first few paragraphs of that article. I'm going to read this to you. Quote, something weird is happening in America. GDP growth for quarter three was just revised up from an already scorching 4.9% to 5.2%, 
More Americans have jobs than at any time in history, but the public is up in arms about economic conditions, with consumer confidence dropping to a six-month low. With headline indicators in such rude health, we would expect that the number of Americans who think they're better off than this time last year to outnumber those who say they're worse off by about 25 percentage points. Instead, the reportedly worse-offs outnumber the better-offs by 10 points in the latest University of Michigan's Index of Current Economic Conditions. I know what you're thinking. Inflation explains all of this. People really hate rising prices and are reminded of them every time they buy something. Inflation salience drowns out other more distant and intangible gains. It's certainly a good theory, but countries all around the world have faced steep inflation, many steeper than the U.S., Presumably, their consumers are also much more pessimistic than we would expect. Well, no, actually, unquote. So that's the first few paragraphs of that article, which was from December. And you can kind of tell that the mood in the U.S. on the economy right now isn't too great. But all the statistics out there say it's doing pretty well. So what Bernd Murdoch did was he calculated what the expected consumer sentiment would most likely be based on underlying economic indicators for several countries, and he then compared that to the actual consumer sentiment data. So he calculated this for France, Germany, the UK, and the US. And what he found is that the US is undoubtedly the most pessimistic of the four because France, Germany, and the UK's actual consumer confidence index, they're all about within about a point of where Bern Murdoch predicted that they should be considering the state of their economies. But for the US, actual confidence was three points below what was expected. So to determine why this was the case, Bern Murdoch had Focal Data, which is an analytics and a polling company, run a poll of a little over 2,000 U.S. residents back in late November to ask them what they thought about certain aspects of the economy. Actually, in fact, what the poll did was it asked respondents whether they thought that certain overall economic circumstances had improved or if they declined over a period of time, like questions that actually had a right and wrong answer. Like, here's one of the questions. Comparing today to one year ago, Which has increased faster on average across the U.S., prices or wages? 90% said prices and only 10% said wages. But what's the correct answer? As I said earlier, it's not prices, it's wages. So 90% of respondents were wrong. Oops. Think about that for a second. Another question. Do you think that the rate of inflation has gone up, down, or stayed the same? since this time last year. Now think about it. What would your answer be, up or down? Has the rate of inflation gone up, down, or stayed the same since this time last year? 73% said up. 9% said down. What is the correct answer? The correct answer is down. 9% got the correct answer. In terms of net worth, do you think the median American household is wealthier today than before the pandemic? I'll give you a second to think about that question. 67% said wealthier before the pandemic, which is the incorrect answer because only 13% gave the correct answer, which is that the median American household is wealthier today 
than before the pandemic. And then finally, do you think someone on a median income could afford a better lifestyle today or a year ago? And 63% said a year ago. As we know, that is not the correct answer. The correct answer is today, which was answered by only 11% of people. So out of those four questions, the vast majority answered incorrectly in every single one of them. And now you're starting to be like, oh, now I realize why people are so moody about the economy. because they don't know the basic statistics. I'm not saying that's a fault of anybody. I'm just saying that these are the basic statistics and the vast majority of people are getting them wrong. So there's also four additional questions that this poll asked that compared today to 30 years ago, which was 1993, 1994. If y'all didn't know, that was a long time ago. When asked, do you think the share of Americans living in poverty is higher today than 30 years ago? What do you think the answer would be? 68% said that poverty is higher today. 16% said it is lower today. Well, the poverty rate in 1993 was 15.1%. The latest poverty data shows that that number in 2022, its latest data, was 11.5%. So those who said it's lower today are once again correct. Another question, do you think someone on a median income can afford a better lifestyle today than 30 years ago? 60% said 30 years ago, 23% said today. And what's the correct answer? As you may have guessed, it's today. Because adjusted for inflation, income is almost $10,000 more than what it was in 1994 for the 25 to 34-year-old range. That's pretty crazy when you think about it adjusted for inflation also in terms of net worth do you think the median american household is wealthier today than 30 years ago 56 percent believe that 30 years ago was the right answer but the 26 percent who said that the median household is wealthier today were correct 56 percent believe that households were wealthier 30 years ago which is not true the data backs up that claim. And finally, it's a fact, not a claim. And finally, do you think the unemployment rate is higher today than 30 years ago? This is as simple as it gets, y'all. 51% said it is higher today. 29% said it is lower today. So the answer, last month's unemployment rate was 3.7%. In the fourth quarter of 1993, it was 6.5%. So once again, the people who said it was lower today are correct. And the people who thought life was so much better 30 years ago are wrong. Because the American economy is much better than it was 30 years ago. But the average American, according to this poll, does not believe that. Y'all see why I do this podcast now? Because we got to get these facts out. Like, I'm not saying... If you didn't know that, I'm not blaming you because there's a lot of reasons why people may not know that. But like, people do need to know that life is better now than it was 30 years ago. Like, I mean, come on. Over 50% of respondents on all those questions were more negative than what reality 
shows. But that's just one poll, you may say. Please, Xander, you can't go by one poll. All right. Well, that's true. Let's just take a look at the latest Gallup polls, because in December, only 22% of Americans said that the current state of the economy was good or excellent. 33% said it was only fair, and 45% said it was poor. Also in December, 28% said the economy was getting better. 68% said it was getting worse. That was in December of last year, and I just showed you all those statistics earlier. And from a poll from the New York Times and Siena College from October and November that was taken in six battleground states for the presidential election later this year, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, 81% of respondents said that the economy was poor or only fair. And a CBS News YouGov poll just found this month that 35% of Americans say the economy is good. 35%. That's a lot of numbers. So it's pretty clear that people are feeling down about the economy right now and have been for the last couple of years. But even as many of these numbers continue to show a positive and robust economy, you can, you can see where the negative sentiment is coming from. I'll give you that. Prices are up for most things, including houses, even as those price increases are falling, and even the prices of some goods are actually falling over the last couple months, and the median real income has suffered, as for most of the last couple years, wage growth has not kept up with inflation, even if it is now, over the last couple of years, that has not been the case. So inflation is the big thing, but I think that this quote that comes from Lisa Cook, who was a member of the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors, articulates a common sentiment that is out there right now. She said, quote, Most Americans are not just looking for disinflation, which is a slowdown in price increases, slowing inflation. They want these prices to be back where they were before the pandemic, unquote. And friends, that would be an absolute disaster because that's called deflation. Inflation is good, actually. I talked about this on the inflation podcast I did. Inflation itself is good. High inflation, like what we saw, was not good when wages are below that number. But deflation is worse. That means that the economy is retracting. It's getting smaller, which would cause massive economic headaches, y'all. We don't want deflation. I think a lot of people think, we need prices back to where they were. We need 15-cent hamburgers. That's an exaggeration from, like, 1940. But that would not be good for the economy if that happened. That could cause something, like a recession, that would be worse than what we experienced with the high inflation. So that would, we don't want that. What the goal is, is to have wages rising higher than prices, which is finally happening now, by the way. But there's other personal factors, obviously. You know, if you're a young adult and you live with your parents or, you know, the industry you work in, how much you pay for things, you buy, how much you make, your personal experience is obviously going to skew what you might be thinking about the economy overall. But for the overall majority, at least according to polling and surveys, they don't think the overall economy is in a good place or trending in a good place right now. Now, those numbers are starting to change. You're starting to see over the last month or two that the polls are starting to get more. More people are starting to say, oh, maybe the economy is doing better than I thought, or maybe it just is getting better. But overall, people are saying economy is not in a good place right now. But not for all aspects of the economy, because that brings me to this 
interesting phenomenon that's occurring right now. A lot of people don't think the economy is doing well, but they do think that they're doing well personally, and they're showing it too, because people across the board are saying that expenses are rising faster than incomes, or at least they were. Americans are still spending their money. A common metric for consumer spending that CNBC has, the retail monitor, which doesn't include autos or gas, rose 0.4% in December from the previous month. Since October of 2022, that number has always been positive, except for October of 2023, when it briefly hit negative 0.1%. But then in November, it rebounded to 0.8% the next month. So what that shows is spending is continuing to increase among consumers, even as inflation is terrible, my expenses are rising faster than my incomes, but people are still spending like crazy. And then you've got other data from the Commerce Department, the federal government, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which found that PCE, which is personal consumption expenditures, basically consumers spending money, rose 0.6% in July of last year, 0.3% in August, 0.7% in September, 0.1% in October, and 0.2% in November. So the data shows that consumers are still spending their money at continuously increasing levels, despite the majority saying that the economy is poor right now. And U.S. spending is rising even higher than the countries that were listed earlier, like France, Germany, and the U.K. So it's the interesting phenomenon going right now where maybe you start to say, well, maybe people aren't being truthful when they talk to polls, maybe even about the economy, or maybe they just don't know. Like, maybe from that poll we mentioned earlier about the actual questions that people were answering and were getting wrong, maybe they just don't know. But it also could be a fact that people are not being truthful when getting talked to polls. I have never been contacted by a poll, so I don't know who they're contacting. But what the polls are saying about the economy and what people are doing are complete opposites. Because if people said the economy was bad right now, they wouldn't be spending. They'd be saving their money. But they're not saving their money. Latest savings rate I just saw was 3.4%, which is not good, y'all. People need to be saving their money. Instead, people are spending their money, which shows that a lot of people think that the economy is actually good. Or their actions make it seem that way. And there's also polling to back that up, too, because since 2017... The Federal Reserve has consistently found that people believe their finances are doing at least okay, more so than the national economy. In 2019, 75% believed that their own finances were doing good, but only 50% said the same for the national economy, which is interesting. But in 2022, 73% said they were doing good personally, only 18% said the national economy was doing good. It's, it's an interesting thing that's going on, y'all, right? Because people are saying that I'm doing well off, but the economy isn't, but other people aren't doing well off. But most people are saying they are doing well off. So again, if inflation was this big thing, and again, inflation was this big thing, prices were rising at some point much higher than wages, which was a real problem, which has been fixed, by the way, well, if it was a real problem for a lot of people, they probably wouldn't say they're doing well off 
personally, or else they're just like not being truthful to polls or the way the polls are being calculated is just totally off. But again, what the polling shows and what the economic data shows that I mentioned earlier are opposites. And not only that, but what people are saying, what people are doing are opposites because people are acting like the economy is good, but they're saying that it's bad. So it's an interesting but also confusing thing on how to decipher why that is. But another factor for why that may be comes from some research that I found from the Brookings Institute. The researchers there, Ben Harris and Aaron Sojourner, earlier this year found that news coverage of the economy has actually been more negative than what would be expected. So the researchers, they took the San Francisco Fed's Economic News Sentiment Index, and they calculated the trends in quarterly economic news sentiment. And something that they found was that the quarter that had the highest economic news sentiment in the past couple years was the first quarter of 2017. Now, do you all know who was president in the first quarter of 2017? Oh my gosh, that would be Mr. Donnie Boy, right? He was president in that quarter, for most of that quarter. But I've been told that the big, bad, liberal, mainstream media hates Mr. Donnie Boy. But economic news sentiment was most positive in that quarter. So, hmm. That's another thing, y'all. The mainstream media, oh my gosh, the mainstream, lamestream, liberal media hates Trump so much. You think that CNN is thrilled or that at least the people who run the finances at CNN are thrilled that Biden's president right now. CNN's ratings, the cable news ratings, were through the roof when Mr. Donnie Boy is president. And now they're not. Because things are not as crazy anymore, thankfully. But I just, you know, when people say, oh my gosh, the media hates Trump so much. Like, really, think about it for a second. Okay. Are you stupid? But what the researchers also found, beyond what I just inferred was the largest gap in the economic news sentiment index compared to what was predicted that that would be given the economic data for a time period since 1982. The largest gap was from 2021 to 2023, and it was negative. So could the news media be portraying more negative coverage than what the economic data actually suggests. It appears, according to the research, to be a factor because economic news is more negative overall right now, or at least it was in the last couple of years, than it was at any other time since 1982 compared to what you would actually think it would be at given this current state of the economy. It was pushing levels like we were in a recession those last couple of years, but we were not. But again, it all kind of does boil down to the fact that, I mean, do you really care if the GDP of the U.S. goes up in the third quarter of the year? Does the unemployment rate changing a tenth of a percent from month to month really matter to you? Probably not. You probably think it wouldn't. Of course, in the grand scheme of things, it actually does in terms of the overall economy, because what that data shows right now is the economy is strong. Of course, inflation has been the big cause for concern recently, but many have been feeling like the economy right now is on par with the 2008 recession, mostly because of inflation. But as I said, that is absolutely 
not the case. A lot of the factors are not pointing to a recession right now. There hasn't been a recession, at least in the last couple of years. There was, remember, when the economy shut down, basically, in 2020 at the start of the pandemic, that was considered a recession for a couple months. But since then, there hasn't been a recession, but inflation has gone up big time. It's come back down now. So all I'm saying is there is a lot of negative sentiment in the economy right now. And the data shows and the actions of consumers show that it is not valid. That inflation going down to reasonable levels, wages outpacing inflation now, unemployment rate as low as it's almost ever been, GDP growing at pretty high levels, at least the third quarter of 2023. We should probably get the fourth quarter numbers within the next couple of weeks. The data is showing that the economy is strong. And the fact that consumers are still spending on average more and more each month shows that consumers still think that the economy is strong. But the vibes out there for what could be several reasons, what could be people are mad with inflation, people are getting bad news, people are uninformed. It could be for many reasons. But the vibes right now, not so great. They're starting to change, as I said, but overall they have been negative. And, you know, when you take a look at the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really make sense that they are as negative as they are. So that's one part of what I wanted to talk about in this podcast this week. Another part, the recession question. There's always that lingering question of a recession, y'all, especially when economists were shouting from the rooftops last year that one was going to happen. But again, it never did. So will that be the case this year? Well, let's take a look. But first, Let's just go back to the basics. What is a recession? Again, going back to last year's podcast, episode 91, let's bring out the official term for an economic recession. For that, if you don't want to listen to the podcast right now, I get you. So I'm just going to read off what I said once again on last year's podcast. So what I said, story time. A common sentiment is that if we have two consecutive quarters, quarters are once again, three month periods of negative GDP growth. That means we're in a recession. That's actually what happened, again, as I said, back in 2022, when the U.S. had negative GDP growth in the first and second quarters, while we later saw positive growth in the third and the fourth quarters of that year. But that prompted many to say or believe that the U.S. was in a recession. But an analysis from October by Raymond James found that other indicators showed the U.S. was not in a recession. And now the common sentiment is that the U.S. was not in a recession in 2022. GDP growth is not the only metric that economic analysts use to figure out if we are in a recession or not. The National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER, is a nonprofit and nonpartisan research organization that is basically the standard bearer for declaring recessions and informing on other aspects of the economy. The NBER, in addition to GDP growth, takes a look at other indicators like unemployment, industrial production, and retail sales. The NBER actually tracks U.S. business cycles and notes that when unemployment rises considerably, a recession is usually occurring. But since the NBER relies on government data for things like unemployment, we might not know when we're actually in a recession, since they'll probably declare that we had one in the past or it started months ago. But again, in 2022, there was you know, no rise in unemployment considerably, so there was really no recession. 
So what exactly causes recessions? And for that answer, let's once again look at what I said on last year's podcast. Just like with determining how we're in a recession, there really isn't a common predictor of a recession. But obviously, they've happened before, and we could look at things that have happened beforehand. So since 1854, the U.S. has suffered 34 recessions, although since 1980, there's only been five. Something that has happened before each of the 10 U.S. recessions that have come after 1955 is actually an inverted yield curve. And if you don't remember what that is I'm talking about, that's what occurs when long-term interest rates are less than short-term interest rates. So the yield curve typically shows yields on similar bonds across like a variety of maturities, time lengths, short or long, that's maturity. Usually, the yield curve slopes upward, which shows that if you hold longer-term debt, you've taken on more risk. But when the curve is inverted, it's the opposite, and it happens when investors move money away from short-term bonds and into long-term bonds. And typically, when we're taking a look at the yield curve, short-term usually means two-year bonds. Long-term tends to mean 10-year bonds. Obviously, there's other maturities there. But short-term, usually two years. 10 years for long-term. So for most of 2006, the 10-year, two-year spread was inverted. And then in 2007, long-term bonds started to outperform stocks. And the Great Recession began in December of 2007. In August of 2019, the spread inverted again. And then we had the two-month recession in February and March of 2020. And then you looked, as we did a year ago, December of 2022, the yield curve became inverted again. But more specifically for the question of what causes recessions, there are several theories that economic analysts have because the yield curve became inverted of December of 2022. There wasn't a recession. Again, a yield curve can get inverted, but that doesn't always mean there's going to be a recession. Now, that has happened before every recession, but it's also happened and recessions haven't happened. So, Other theories, one is that significant and sustained increases in oil prices can raise prices for many other things in an economy, which would create a recession, kind of like what we saw with gas prices and inflation rising. But obviously, we didn't actually have an official recession then. And so another theory is looking at credit growth and consumer debt. When we take on more financial risk during good economic times, it can come back to bite us in the butt. Some say that a recession can be caused by insufficient growth in the money supply. And a lot of people are thinking about, oh, all the money the government handed out during the pandemic. But again, we're here a couple years later and there's been no recession. There's also theories you know, that focus on psychological factors, like what I mentioned earlier, taking on too much risk during good economic times or not enough risk during bad times. And now you actually think about it and you're like psychological factors. People think the economy's bad, but they're acting like it's not, which is also interesting. That's just a little refresher. That's how we can kind of define a recession and the indicators that have come before previous recessions. But before we get to 2024, I think it's important to realize why there was no recession in 2023, because many economists believe that As the Federal Reserve was continuing to increase interest rates last year, consumer spending would fall because of the higher cost of borrowing money, and if the Fed continued to overdo it, they could cause a recession. 
That's not a fact. But that, y'all, it did not happen. As we mentioned earlier, consumer spending continued to increase even as interest rates did as well. And I mentioned last year that this would probably not be sustainable. But for 2023, it was. Will it be for 2024? That'll, of course, be interesting to see. And so I found an article in Forbes that kind of lays out some of the reasons why there was not a recession in 2023. Forbes' one of their senior contributors, Bill Connerly, said that while his forecast is now saying that a recession is unlikely in 2024, there could still be an economic slowdown this coming year. But in his article from last month, he listed four reasons as to why there was no recession last year, as he had predicted, by the way. But he's owning up to it. So what he said, number one, automobile and light truck sales usually fall when interest rates rise, leading to cutbacks in production. This time around, though we had pent up demand for new cars due to past supply chain problems, cars became more available in 2023 and prices even declined a bit. So automobiles and supply and demand can obviously be a factor there. Number two, he says, comes from, quote, business capital spending, which usually declines when the Fed tightens. Part of the decline results from the higher cost of capital and part from weaker expectations for future demand that accompany monetary tightening. This cycle, however, companies had placed orders for computers, equipment, and machinery to make up for the workers they had trouble hiring, unquote. Number three relates to the, quote, tight labor market. Some people who were laid off found new work right away, having driven past help-wanted signs for months. This was not true for all people who had been displaced, but true enough to delay cutbacks in consumer spending, unquote. So once again, people, if you lost your job or you quit your job, jobs were available. People were able, a lot of people were able to get new jobs pretty easily. And so people were still spending. They still had money to spend. And then finally, number four, quote, came from people who had been laid off or were worried about layoffs. The public had generally saved their pandemic stimulus payments, holding on to them for a year and then gradually spending down their bank balances. They have not had to cut back on their discretionary spending as much as in the typical business cycle, unquote. So with that one, again, you talk about consumer spending and how it continues to go up. Well, it might be because people were saving earlier in the pandemic, and now they've got a lot of money to spend, and now they're chugging through it. Now, is that sustainable? That's not sustainable. But it was in 2023, and that's why no recession happened. But Connerly consistently notes that those factors only delayed an eventual downturn. Whether that happens remains to be seen, obviously, because this is an individual who did predict a recession would happen in 2023, as did many people. You know, unemployment stayed low, GDP rose by bigger numbers than what was originally anticipated, and inflation continued to come down, all while consumer spending continued to increase. So the economy actually had a pretty good year in 2023, despite what, you know, many people may believe the economy got better in 2023, unlike what some people would believe, or at least tell polls. So that leads me to the big question. Is a recession going to happen in 2024? So let's take a look at the indicators. The yield curve. Remember that before each of the last 10 recessions the U.S. has had, 
the yield curve has been inverted. That means that, again, long-term interest rates are less than short-term interest rates. That was the case at the beginning of 2023. But remember, not every time that's happened, there's been a recession. So let's take a look now. As of Tuesday, the two-year Treasury yield stood at 4.21%. The 10-year Treasury yield stood at 4.04%. So technically, yes, that is an inverted yield curve. However, it's a lot narrower. It's a lot closer than the difference was at the beginning of last year. So from that aspect, a recession could happen. But again, it's not as likely even from that aspect because again, an inverted yield curve has happened before and no recession followed. And the inversion has only narrowed since this time last year. Like, I just want to say something. Just remember, y'all, and we talked about news earlier and how news has been negative compared to what would traditionally be given the economic numbers over the last couple of years, but stuff people see online too. I was researching for this podcast and I come across this YouTube video that's from three days ago that was titled, quote, WARNING, in all caps, the yield curve just signaled the worst case scenario, unquote. Like, really? And people are going to watch that and people are going to listen to that and going to be like, oh my gosh, the economy is terrible. So again, don't believe everything you read or you watch or you listen to on the interwebs or wherever, which is why you should listen to Xander's Facts Podcast. But even if you don't believe the stuff that I'm saying, go look it up because usually I'm backed up by facts. Usually, please. 100% of the time I'm backed up by facts. These are facts. So I just had to put that out there again, just as a warning again. But another indicator, unemployment, that's another big factor. And at 3.7%, unemployment in the U.S. continues to be at historic lows like it was last year. So unless this rises by, you know, a couple percentage points, we start getting into the 5, 6, 7% range, there's no need to get worried from at least that aspect. Consumer spending would also likely start to drop if a recession nears. And another thing to watch is consumer debt, which, as I mentioned last year, has only continued to increase since the 2008-2009 Great Recession, and that has only continued over the last year. And another factor that the Forbes article I mentioned earlier does note is initial claims for unemployment insurance. The author of that article, Connerly, he notes that this does better at anticipating economic changes than most other indicators. And for the last two years, these claims have stayed level with the long-run average, showing that overall, there's a lot of jobs available. So that shows that there's no sign of a recession. But a big part of why many believe the economy would go south last year was because of the Fed hiking interest rates too much, too fast, and then cutting consumer spending as a result. But again, that didn't happen. And now it appears that the Fed is done with interest rate hikes. Investment bank Goldman Sachs actually believes that the Fed could cut rates up to five times in 2024. So that's another aspect to is a recession going to happen. So while a recession is absolutely still possible, it's possible in any year, a soft landing is also possible. And that would mean that we get through high inflation, we get through high interest rates, without suffering two quarters of negative GDP growth. If inflation stays low and the Fed begins to cut interest rates, I mean, at that point, we could be all ready to declare victory 
and say that we've achieved a soft landing. To be honest, that's the best case scenario because that means the economy is still chugging. And at that point, you'd probably think the vibes overall would be a lot more positive if we get to that point. It's not a given we get to that point, but it does seem, according to the data, that it's more and more likely, you would think. But of course, as I said, anything can happen. There's many factors, not just in economics, but also in politics, too, that could contribute to a positive or a negative economic future. Like I came across this other article in Bloomberg from earlier this week that was titled A Pessimist's Guide to Global Economic Risks in 2024. So it outlines a couple of reasons why the economy could take a hit this year, but some other reasons for why the economic expansion could continue. So the article listed eight reasons for why you could be pessimistic about the global economy in 2024. And, you know, reading some of these, most of them, you could say, have not a 0% chance of happening. Here we go. Number one, the Middle East. What the article says, quote, after more than three months, Israel's war in Gaza has brought the region to the brink of a wider conflict with the potential to choke off oil flows, take a chunk out of global growth, and push inflation higher again. That kind of energy supply disruption hasn't happened yet, and markets are betting it won't, but the risk is rising. Tensions have escalated in the Red Sea since the U.S. and the U.K. launched airstrikes in Yemen, a response to weeks of attacks by Houthi militants on vessels in a key gateway for global commerce, daily exchanges of fire along the Israel-Lebanon border, and the assassination of a Hamas leader in Beirut risk drawing Hezbollah, and consequently Iran, deeper into the fighting. Iraq and Syria increasingly look like flashpoints too. Our base case remains that a direct Iran-Israel war is unlikely. But if that extreme scenario did materialize, then one-fifth of global crude supply, as well as important trade routes, could be at risk. Crude prices could surge to $150 per barrel, shaving about one percentage point off global GDP and adding 1.2 percentage points to global inflation, unquote. So that obviously would not be good. We don't want a wider conflict right now in the Middle East. But if that happened, and if crude prices went up and oil prices and gas prices went up, don't worry. I'm sure a lot of people would be blaming Joe Biden for that. Number two, another could be that the Federal Reserve cuts interest rates too fast. What the article says, quote, in the 1970s, Fed Chair Arthur Burns pivoted too early. The result was a resurgence of inflation, requiring extreme measures from his successor, Paul Volcker, to bring prices under control. There's two ways 2024 could see a repeat, albeit in miniature. One involves a supply shock, a real possibility if an escalating Middle East conflict hits oil prices and shipping lanes. The other would stem from looser financial conditions, with the five-year Treasury yield down more than a percentage point from its October high. Plug a one percentage point drop in yields into the Bloomberg economics model of the U.S. economy, and it nudges inflation in the year ahead up by half a percentage point, bringing it closer to 3% than the 2% target that the Fed has. If this happens, the Fed might have to pause the pivot, frustrating market expectations of an easier policy stance. So again, if the Federal Reserve cuts interest rates too fast and then inflation starts to go up again, then the Fed could then have to stop 
and then have to actually raise interest rates again, which probably would not be the best scenario. Number three, the opposite could be true, though, for Europe. Quote, if the U.S. risks running its economy too hot, the opposite is true in Europe. The European Central Bank and the Bank of England are at the end of their most aggressive tightening cycles in a generation. Run their hikes through any macroeconomic model, and it spits out a clear forecast. Deep recession. Euro area gross domestic product should have taken a hit of 2.5%, Bloomberg Economics model suggests. The equivalent figure for the UK is 4.7%. So far, though, the data shows something different, a slowdown in both economies, but not a contraction. Of course, the models may be wrong. Yeah. Forecasting through the pandemic and the Ukraine war was always going to be a challenge, but there's another possibility. Monetary policy famously operates with long lags. In Europe, the big hit may be yet to come. For Germany, Europe's stalled powerhouse, it wouldn't take much to turn 2024 into another year of contraction. A slowdown in China adds to the risks. Bad news for China, slower growth, is bad news for Germany, which counts the Asian superpower as one of its biggest export markets. But good news for China, you know, the rise of its electric car makers, is also bad news for Germany because Volkswagen and its compatriots fear that Chinese rivals are in their lane and could take their market share. So there you go. Number four, again, China and their economic troubles. Quote, the world's second largest economy enters 2024 with growth already heading south. The post-pandemic recovery has fizzled and a steady drip of stimulus has failed to fill the vast hole left by a slumping property sector, unquote. Number five, another Asian country worth watching is Japan. Quote, 2024 is set to be the year when the under new management central bank ditches yield curve control, the policy it used to peg long-term interest rates at rock bottom levels. The goal was to reflate Japan's shrinking economy. The effects have rippled in around the world in the form of the carry trade. Investors could borrow in yen with a zero-cost guarantee and then buy U.S. treasuries paying 4% or emerging market bonds yielding even more. Yen depreciation pushed the profits on that trade higher still. Bloomberg Economics see the Bank of Japan moving toward an exit in July Keeping policy settings accommodative, but removing the lock on yields. Careful signaling to the market increases the odds it will go smoothly. If it doesn't and the yen spikes, carry trades could unwind rapidly with an exodus of funds from U.S. Treasuries and other higher-yielding assets. The sums involved are vast. Japan has a $4.1 trillion of foreign portfolio investment, unquote. The number six... And of course, you know, what happens in Ukraine is obviously going to have economic consequences. Quote, after the failure of Ukraine's counteroffensive, Western backers warned the country risks outright defeat, especially if U.S. military aid were to dry up, handing Russia a decisive battlefield advantage. Stalemate may be a likelier outcome. The record of past conflicts shows the longer they go on, the less likely the aggressor will achieve a decisive victory. Still, Eastern European governments now worry aloud about the arrival of an emboldened Russian army on their borders and whether it would stop there. Analysts say the U.S. might face a tough choice between deploying forces to deter Russia in Europe or China in Asia. A defeat for Ukraine could make it harder for Washington to convince other countries that it's a strong and reliable ally 
It might also increase the likelihood of blowups elsewhere in the world. The recent flare-up of a territorial dispute between Venezuela and Guyana is one example, as weaker U.S. deterrence encourages regional powers to settle old scores or create new facts on the ground. I don't know about new facts, but okay. That unquote. Number seven, Taiwan's elections and China's response could also have effects. If you didn't know, Taiwan just held an election on last Sunday. Quote, in Taiwan, last weekend's presidential vote saw Vice President Lai Cheng-Ti win a by narrow margin, granting his ruling Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP, an unprecedented third term. Mainland China's immediate reaction was muted, stopping short of major military exercises or economic measures. But Beijing may see the DPP's failure to secure a legislative majority as constraining Lai's administration, allowing a less intense reaction. However, deep skepticism in China of the president-elect as a separatist and troublemaker, despite his pledge of cross-strait policy continuity, means trust is low, opening the door to a potential escalation in tensions in the months ahead. The stakes for the world economy are high, especially because of Taiwan's key role in semiconductor output. War in the Taiwan Strait isn't a high probability. If it does occur, though, Bloomberg Economics estimates choked chip supplies, blocked trade routes, and economic sanctions could cost as much as 10% of global GDP, dwarfing the impact of even such major shocks like a global financial crisis and the pandemic. A war is an extreme scenario. Higher stress stopping short of conflict is more likely which would expose market champions like Apple and NVIDIA that count Taiwan's semiconductor manufacturing company among their crucial suppliers to geopolitical risk, unquote. And then finally, number eight, you probably guessed this one. As we all know, 2024 is a presidential election year in the U.S. Quote, the most important election of 2024 could upend calculations around the world, November's U.S. presidential election is shaping up as a rematch between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, who's grabbed an early poll lead in swing states. Trump's return to office could bring sharp policy reversals in 2025, and markets might price them earlier. He's promised a tariff of 10% on all imports. If trade partners retaliate in kind, that would shave 0.4% off U.S. GDP. There will be more trade tension with partners like Europe and rivals like China. America's desire to lead the NATO military alliance could diminish. Before any of that, there's the election itself to get through, of course, and a significant risk that its outcome could be contested. The post-vote violence on January 6, 2021 showed the potential for domestic upheaval and the fragility of faith in U.S. democracy, unquote. So any of those factors have the ability to cause strain not just on the U.S., but the global economy in the coming year. But obviously, if something causes strain on the global economy, it's likely to cause strain on the U.S. economy as well. It's all true! So, you know, any of those factors could be an issue. But the article also lists some factors that could be a boon. One of these is, quote, after years when apparently low-probability scenarios turned into market-shaking realities, Perhaps the best good news in 2024 would be if the risks remained as risks. Beyond that, energy markets could be one place to look for a positive growth surprise, provided by a wider Middle East war that can be averted. 
Oil prices should have surged in 2023. Demand was strong and OPEC slashed supply, but instead it fell. If the conflict in Gaza stays contained, conditions in 2024 may be conducive to further declines. Demand growth is set to slow and OPEC could struggle to stay united, raising the prospect of a price war that would lift the global economy. Bloomberg Economics estimates that a 10% drop in oil prices would boost the world GDP by close to a tenth of a percentage point. Two trends are generally favorable for emerging markets going into 2024 as well. Interest rates are falling and companies are seeking to bring their supply chains nearer to home. A handful of countries are well-placed to catch both tailwinds at once, led by Mexico, Peru, and Poland. They're all poised to cut rates in 2024. The latter two have already started and have trade agreements with large neighbors that make them prime sites for nearshoring, unquote, you know, Mexico with the U.S. But again, take all that with a grain of salt because it is unknown basically to every human being on this earth whether any of those factors, positive or negative, are going to come to fruition. You know, you remember... Many of these individuals are the same who predicted a recession would take place last year. It did not take place last year. So that's that's just all I'm saying. So there you have it, y'all. That's basically a wrap on our annual State of the Economy podcast. I left you last year on last year's economic podcast with the warning that it's unknown whether or not the economy is going to turn south over the next year. And I'm going to repeat that again this year because I would say that There is an overall better outlook from economists regarding the economy for this coming year. The indicators on whether there's going to be a recession look less likely that it's going to happen. That doesn't mean things could go south, though. I'm sure we all thought we knew the way 2020 was going to go at the beginning of the year, but you know, you never know. So is a recession going to happen in 2024? No one can definitively answer that for you. But if I had to bet on it, I'd probably say... No, there's not going to be a recession. But again, I'm not an expert, so take what I say with a grain of salt. I'm just looking at the indicators. But again, a lot of the experts said there was going to be a recession last year, and there wasn't. So, you know, you never know. But again, just remember to trust the facts. There were a lot of facts that I did point out on this podcast this week. So hopefully y'all took those Hopefully now you have a better understanding of how the actual economy looks right now, what the statistics show, not just the vibes. Because again, like I said, the vibes are off. And not just like I have a feeling the vibes are off, data shows that the vibes are off compared to what they should be for what the economic data is. It's interesting. It's complex. There's a lot of reasons why that could be. But again, y'all, like I said, just trust the facts. So there you have it, y'all. Those are all the facts I have for episode 130 this week. Thank you all so much for listening. Remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 130. If you enjoyed all the facts this week, rate and review the podcast too. Check us out on all the socials, threads, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends. We like to call it spreading the facts around here. Tell all your friends about the podcast, the newsletter, Xander's Weekend Facts, Xander's Facts on YouTube, too, by the way, because all our new episodes get posted to YouTube, including this one. So go check that out. Subscribe to the YouTube channel and also check out the Xander's Facts link tree because it has all the Xander's Facts links that you need. That is a wrap on episode 130. Thank you all so much for listening. 
Episode 131 is coming up in two weeks. That'll be on Wednesday, January 31st. Next week, we're not having a new episode. We're just going to do a little Zaner's Facts flashback. But again, it'll still have facts. It'll still be factual. But the new facts, episode 131 is not coming out for another two weeks. So make sure to put that on your calendar. And put the flashback on your calendar for next week, too. Because it's always good to re-listen to the facts. There's so many facts on each episode of the podcast. Oh, boy. All right. That is it. That is a wrap on episode 130 of the Xander's Facts Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see y'all with episode 131 in two weeks. I love big leaf maples. I do too. Oh, this feels so good.